Ladies and gentlemen, Andre Norman, Day One Podcast, Securus Original, JPay Platform. All my brothers in Florida, New York, Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Michigan, you know what I'm saying, Arizona, California. You know what I'm saying? We going global with this. And if I missed you hollering me, I'll give you a shout out on the next one. But we are in the building. Yes. It is the podcast series. They keep looking for my first joint, second act. Second act is done, y'all. That's in the can. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? We're always going to create new stuff for you. We ain't going to be trying to repeat, repeat, repeat. We come with new guests, new flavor, new sauce. And today, all the way from Dallas, Texas. Yes. You officially from Dallas? Born and raised. Officially. What side of town? East Dallas. East Dallas is in the building. Yes, indeed. So, I want to give a great introduction, great welcome for local activists, True man of God, true man in the community, true man of the people, and he cares about you. That's why he's sitting here. He, I said, yo, we doing something. He said, I'm there. Brother Bruce Wayne. Hey, man. Hey, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. This, you know, this is a God connection, man. Let me say that up front. So it's a God connection. I'm happy to be here, and I think this is important. So anytime you call when it has to do something like this, helping those that's behind, I'm here. So... Tell the people about who Bruce Wayne is. All right. My name is Anton Bruce Wayne Lucky. I'm an author. Uh, I run an organization called Urban Specialists. I'm the president of that organization. Uh, another organization that I'm affiliated with, I'm the co-chair of, is it's called Hill America. Uh, it's a large organization that seeks to fight injustice through weapons that we know can win, love, redemption, courage, justice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm on the board of an organization called Stand Together Foundation who give hundreds of millions of dollars out each year to social entrepreneurs, uh, change makers who are removing barriers for those that's at, that the, that's at the bottom of society. And so that's who I am. You was in the street yeah. in Dallas? Yeah. Dallas is a tough town. Yeah, it is. People are sleeping. Dallas is a tough town. Oh, yeah, it is. You can't it's be like, cool. It's like a northern city stuck down south. Yes. Yeah, it it's kind of like Philadelphia down south. Right. I grew up in Fraser Court Housing Project. My father was sentenced to prison when I was nine months. He ultimately did 37 years. I was So I placed a lot of my, 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 my mind power in the school, right? So school became my refuge. I was an A on the road student, talented and gifted student, and I loved bringing good grades home to my grandparents because they were my primary caretakers. My mother worked long hours. And so I love the praise that they give me. I was the smartest in the family. I was the favorite, too. So all my cousins that's going to listen to this, I stand on that. I was the favorite. My they locked up? Yeah, they locked up. My grandmother and grandfather loved me. Rest they so. But the love that they gave me won no match for the neighborhood I grew up in. The idea was survival. It was about being violent. It was about being tough. It was about being rough. So as much as I wanted to be the good kid who loved my good grades, I was snuffed by the neighborhood, the neighborhood idea. The environment got you. The environment got me. And so in, in, in growing up, when I was growing up in Dallas in probably the late 80s, a lot of neighborhoods had adopted the Crip gang, right? Our neighborhood didn't have a gang. We didn't, we just, we didn't associate, but we would, we would fight these dudes just for no reason, just like what you said. They one block one, one block down, mama in poverty, just like my mama in poverty, but it was ingrained in them that we were enemies. And so every day going to school, my survival depended on two things. When that bus left, 
and that Austin left us, didn't wait on us, it left, two things determine my survival. How fast I can run, how hard I can fight. You know what I'm saying? So each day it could be any one of them. You know, out number one day I got to run fast. Some days that we had to stand there and fight. And that became my life, man, until my grades and everything started slipping. Uh, And so a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff culminated during that time. A lot of friends were getting shot, killed. And so me and a couple of my friends, right, after some episodes, Colors came out. You remember the movie Colors? Yeah. I seen it in the movie. And I understood that the enemy to all these people in my neighborhood who were claiming Crips were the Bloods, right? And me and some friends of mine, a couple of cousins, said, you know what? We're going to be the Bloods. We're going to be the Bloods. And it was no such thing as Bloods. And I said we were going to be the roughest, toughest, ruthless gang in the city. And it was just a, we were just one neighborhood. And we became that. We became the roughest, toughest, deadliest gang in the city. And it grew. And it grew. Texas is a long way from California. Yes, it is. I've been to Inglewood. Yeah. I've been to Compton. I've been in the 20s all the way up to Jesse Owens Park. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Been throughout Watts. And I know from Imperial Gardens down, right. to, you know what I'm saying, all through, you yeah. know what I'm saying, all the way back. California had no understanding that dudes were picking it up like that. Yeah. Wow. And we picked it up like that. Our neighborhood picked it up. We didn't get sanctioned in. We just said we were going to be the blood because we were tired of fight, fighting these others. And it, and we didn't know. We were kids. It grew. At the time, it was 50 to 1, you know, 50 Crips to one, every one blood. And so we were outnumbered. So we had to be ruthless. Uh, we were doing some – we were doing a whole bunch of stuff that and, – and for me, I want the toughest, right? I want the toughest, the baddest dude. I was just the more calculated. I was smart. So I can outthink all the rest of the people. I used to, I used to do stuff and set up stuff that people would never expect. That's what made us so so like preferred as we was because we would we would get school buses. You know, we do drive by. But I'm not telling okay, you. Okay, no, no, you don't but know that about I'm that. Way, part. Yeah, but I'm just saying. So at the end of all the boring, yeah, you end up in court. I end up in court. What did the judge give you? The judge gave me, and I was expecting to go home. Let me say this: my daughter was born May seventh. It was May 21st. I was expecting to go home, character witness and everything. First felony as an adult. I should have went home. But the judge told me that I was a menace to society, right? And, and gave, by what you were telling me, you sound like he was right. He didn't know that. I didn't, No, no. Look, I'm not saying he knew that. Yeah. Based on what you're telling me. Right. Somehow he got it right. Okay. Either okay. he did or didn't. Okay. And listen, you talk about okay. doing drive-bys on a school bus. Yes, indeed. But but check this out. He said I was a minister to society, but I want you I want you to put it in the mind frame of me, right? Uh, he said I was a minister to society, and I remember like looking around in the courtroom, saying I was thought he was talking to somebody else. In my mind, I said this. This is the conversation I had as he was sentencing me. I said, Judge, but you don't understand. I'm from East Dallas, man. You got to be tough. That ain't really who I am, but you just got to be that. You can't be soft. You can't be weak. You got to be this. But really, that's not me. That's the conversation I had, but it never came out of my mouth, right? And so for me, going into prison after he sentenced me, I wanted to understand how did I go, because it was the first time I slowed down. And so I wanted to understand how did I go from a talented, gifted student 
to this guy calling me a menace to society. And at the same time, I'm afraid to go to prison. Why are you afraid to go to prison? Because I had heard so much about prison. I, and, 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 it, and I knew me going into prison as the leader, as one of the leaders of the blood gang, I knew what that meant. You know what I'm saying? I knew that that meant You got smoke. Yeah. There's smoke waiting for you as soon as you pull up. I got up. smoke. But, but think about what I'm saying, the duality of him saying you're a menace to society and me and my original state saying, saying man, I don't even want to go to prison. No. You not wanting to go wasn't part of the deal. Right. That wasn't one of his considerations. Right. He, I don't think he ever asked, hey, do you want to go to jail today? Yeah. Who, who's up for prison? I don't yeah. think that's part of the prerequisite yeah. when he sentences but I people. But think, I, think, I, think, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that oftentimes, especially in communities that we come from, when the, na- when the name of the game is survival, I think a lot of kids who are, who are, who are naturally good, like you was a good kid, you were naturally good, but you encountered something in your environment, some stimuli that made you amputate who you were and adapt to the situation. All day. I think it's a lot of kids like that that are talented and gifted, just like me. But they, they succumb to the, to the influence to, the environment. to be something else, and they leer. They leer all this stuff. They give you the name. Well, I'm Lil D. I'm crazy this. And you become that. So for me, I had been in the, I had been in the far left lane on the freeway. In prison, when that just sentenced me, I was in the far left lane. I mean, far right lane about the exit. So now I'm seeing the signs. Now I'm, 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 I'm looking at stuff saying, man, I can see how this idea led to this idea led to this decision. I'm starting to see that now. And so when I went into prison, right, Tupac had to live and die in L.A. You remember that CD? Yeah. And, 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 and as I'm being real with myself, because I think what's different for me uh, that, I, that I noticed is when that judge sentenced me, I became very self-introspective at that moment because I just had a daughter who I had promised not to be to her what my father was to me. So that, that became a reality. I remember looking at my mother and the disappointment that she had on her face as they, they were leading me out of the courtroom, right? And so that particular moment, I said, I got to figure this out. How did this happen? Because it happened so quick. And so Tupac had a song, and you know Tupac was the prophet in 1996 for me. And Tupac had Live and Die in L.A. And the song went, learn about the West Coast, B's and C's, these other dudes, copycats, these the G's. And so for me, right, going into prison, I said, you know what? I know that we created the, our section of bloods off watching colors. Like, that's, that's what idea came from. That gangbanging one uniquely to Texas, Texas, it was something we picked up off the West Coast. And so I'm going into prison saying, as the leader, say, as the leader saying, I got to be real with myself. You know, I got to really address, I got to look in this mirror and address how did I make these decisions that landed me in this particular place. That's when I'm going into prison. And then I hear Tupac say that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, if I'm going to be real with myself, I can't be no copycat. I'm a G, but I'm not a copycat. And so I had to address that, and I had to denounce that at that particular moment. I had to denounce my gang. I had to denounce gangbang because I had to do, I had to do a, my, my balance sheet and say, how did this help me? How did gangbanging help me? How did adopting this idea help me? I went into prison asking myself that question, and I was willing to, to, to bend to whatever answer that I came up with. And so I when you're, what did he give you? Seven years. Seven years. You walk out of the courtroom, your mother got her head down, your daughter crying, you're disappointed, you get in the van, 
or the bus. I don't know if you go back to the tank or you go straight to the prison. What is that first day like with that seven they gave you? In prison or in in the county? What well, first when you came out that courtroom? Oh, when I came out that courtroom, man, I was I was I was. It was like it was a surreal moment. You know, it was a surreal moment for me. I felt like it seemed like I started feeling again, and I felt like I had failed the game of life. I felt like I failed because I was being sentenced to prison. Like I I missed some I missed some cues somewhere. I missed the jump shot. So I felt bad. I felt really bad. I started thinking about I was thinking about my daughter heavily because I was saying, damn. I was saying, man, I, my daughter is 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 two weeks old. And I'm finna miss the most critical, formative part of her life, you know, that three to four year, three to five, zero to three uh, years of her life, man. And I and I was that was preoccupying my mind, and with the fact of balancing that out with the fact that what I'm about to face going into prison, because at the time it was it was rocking and rolling, it was a lot of violence, it was a lot of gang stuff, and so having to deal with that and asking myself where I'm gonna stand on these issues. That's why I went into prison like that. You go back to the county, mm-hmm. you're sitting there, then the bus is coming. Yeah. You get that last phone call, who'd you call? I called my mother. What'd you say to her? I called my mother. They, they, we about to get shipped. You know, I'm about to go. You know, I don't know where I'm headed, but they shipping me. What'd she tell you? Uh, keep your head up, pray. I know, I was a, I'm the oldest of her kids, right? And so it hurt her. It broke her. I know it broke her. What did it do it, for you? Oh, it broke me. How? Because I need you to explain, because there are all these brothers in here tough, got their little chest swollen up, they just came off the weight pit or whatever, they doing their little callies. Yeah. Now you're talking about I'm broken, like I ain't broke. What does that mean? Yeah, but see, I think I, it, it means that I was honest enough with myself to address and face how I was really feeling and what I was going through. I think when you look at other brothers, because of this idea, this, this, this we got to be tough, they suppress that and they don't deal with it. They feel it, but they are taught to hide it. And so because they because they're taught that that's weak, that that's a weakness. You expose how you feel. If you feel that, you're weak. But I learned that it's the opposite. It's courage and it's strength when you can address that stuff that's that they that society tell you that you ain't supposed to be like. So for me, I was being honest with myself because I said to myself, I'm going to look in this stainless steel mirror, and I'm going to be honest with what I see. And I'm going to correct the stuff that I don't like. And I was honest with myself about that. And, 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 and that's different. That's different because, again, in prison, you have a bunch of guys who, who, who skirt that, who, who don't deal with that, you know, who spend day after day lying to each other. Perpetuating the same stuff that got them there. Perpetuating the same stuff. Lying to each other, you know, telling lies to each other, you know, trying to be something that they not or something that, you know, and I didn't want to be a part of that. I wanted to, because I told brother, even in prison, I said, Dre, I said, look, you brothers spend so much time trying to get out that you never work on what got you in. So you're going to have the propensity to come back because you never fixed that which brought you here. Because all of us who went to prison, we went there because there was something in us that made us make choices that led us to that pathway. And if you don't never address that, you don't never go back and retract and, and pinpoint what it was, what influence, what, then, then you'll, you'll, you'll repeat that. You'll, you'll, you'll end up repeating it. What was the hardest thing you had to face in your transition from owning up and taking ownership to being the new you? 
people expected me to be the old me. That was the hardest thing I had to face. I had you got I had young brothers who were who were coming up to me saying, "Oh, gee, I put in work for you in the neighborhood. I put in work for the gang for the set, you know." And I would say, "Like, how much time you got? I got life sentence. How much time you got? I got ninety nine years." Not even understanding that they're gonna be here for the rest of their life, you know, for the majority of their life. And here I am standing here saying, "I have an I have abandoned this idea." I, I'm I'm I done pushed away from this whole gang idea that they pledged their life to. So you got to think about when I'm telling them I'm not there no more. The facial expression that I never forget those facial expressions when when I'm saying, "Hey man, I ain't, I'm not there no more," and brothers looking at me like, "Huh?" Not understanding that they it hurt me. It hurt me to my core because I felt somewhat indirectly responsible for the decisions they made. You know, and so me saying, hey, man, I ain't with that no more. I opted out. I'm good. I'm good. And, and not saying it because of fear. No, not saying just, it no fear. you made the decision I'm making, based on logic. Right. I'm saying it doesn't work. It doesn't but work. But now they got 100 years. Right. They can opt out. Yeah. And I'm saying, man, if I if I if I spent my life banging and willing to die for something stupid, then I have to apply that same energy into living for something good. And so I chose to live for something good to help these brothers. So what are you doing? What are you doing now? Right now, um, I have an organization, again, urban specialists and our job, I've been saying it for the last 22 years since I got out of prison, uh, that brothers, my mentor used to tell me this, the late great Bishop Omar Jawad, that was my mentor on the, in the free world. And my other mentor, I got to mention him, Willie Ray, Willie Ray Fleming, that's in Texas prison right now. That, those are my two mentors. But o, Bishop Omar used to say that if you change your character, then you, if you change your character, then your characteristics will have a market advantage in this, this economy. From August of 2000, we've been saying that those brothers and sisters who've been written off by society is the answer and the solution to, to the problems of our community. So That's I'm, a different dichotomy. No, no. I, I agree. Yeah. And I run those type of programs. Right. So what is your message to the brothers and the sisters yeah. who are there right now who are the solution but don't understand how to tap in? Listen, to any brother or sister that's listening to me right now, right now where you sit is the opportune time for you to make the changes for when you get out. Don't wait till you get out to say, I'm going to do this or do that. You have to do it for where you sit. Use prison as your college. Prison became college for me. I just said prison was going to be my college. You have to use prison for your college right now. Where you sit, you got to educate yourself, and you got to change your character because that's important, changing your character. And I can't promise you that, that you're going to have this success or that success, but what I can promise you, if you begin to, to, to address your behavior and, and begin to do stuff that's positive, begin to do stuff to become back affiliated with your family and your community, et cetera, et cetera, doors will open for you. That's all I can tell you. Doors will definitely open. I'm 100% with that. Two things. Yes. First, what are the best practices or the things they could tangibly do? You did seven, so right. you know what's in there. Right. Everything ain't in there, but right. for what's in there, 
What do you suggest they do? While you while you sitting in prison, this this is, I'm gonna give you two things you can do. These two things: find a mentor in prison, find an uh, inmate, an offender that's that's really epitomizing and the embodiment of what you're trying to be in prison. Find that individual that's not participating in gangs, it's not participating in homosexuality, not smoking cigarettes, not smoking contraband, all that stuff. Start living right, right then. Find your mentor that's doing it to sharpen you. And then two, uh, take advantage of every opportunity for education, counseling, et cetera, et cetera, and do that for you. Don't do it for nobody else. Do that for you. If you do that and focus on yourself the entire time you're in prison, you have then prepared yourself for when you get released. Those two things is two things that I know for sure if you do right now, find you somebody who is the embodiment of, of, be, of living right while they behind those bars and then take advantage of every educational opportunity, trade, vocation that you can get so you get the skills, skill sets for when you get out. Those are my two biggest things that you can do. Now, for the two brothers, the one with the life sentence, the one with the 99, who came up to you, what's your message to them? Each one, reach one, teach one. You have an obligatory duty to be an example to those younger brothers and those younger offenders who are coming into the world. You spend your time helping those individuals, being a leader, being a guide to those, in the, and I guarantee you, your life will have. It's like what Victor Frankl say: when you find your why, then it's, you can do anything with your how. You know what I'm saying? You got to find your why. So your why has to become, how can I each one reach one, teach one? You begin to teach people, and your time, it'll flow like, it'll flow and you'll feel good about doing it. Ownership. Yes. You started something. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it turned out bad. Mm -hmm. Blessings, you able to turn it around. Right. And you're giving back. You're doing right. Right. Where's the ownership for the original? Say it again. The ownership of what of the original, where you were. I'm not trying to drag you back to yeah. you. Yeah. Know I'm saying, but like I lived a life and yeah. I did some things. And yeah. I, what made my life right is I went back and I owned my stuff. Uh, oh yeah. So what does that look like for you? Oh man, I do a lot of stuff, uh, not just in Dallas, but across the country. I go. I mean, my neighborhood. Uh, I adopt my neighborhood. I do a lot of stuff, man. I, I we'll be here all day if I tell you all the stuff that I do. But I always look for individuals who got our story. And I bring them into this fold and show them how to become a commodity in, in, in helping, you know, go back, going back and helping community. I show them their advantage. I'm known for showing brothers their advantage, their influence, and how, they, how to use your influence for good. Because oftentimes people think you can't do this kind of work that we do, you know, and, it's, and there's something else to it. But I show brothers that if you, if you apply the principles, you stay focused, and you, just like what we learned in the street, you stay down, you're going to come up. Right. So I show brothers that. Come I up show with a bid. Yeah, you come up. I show, I show brothers that. So I do a lot of stuff like around the country, in my community. You know, I'm known for that. I'm known for each one, reach one, teach one, till we all talk. You're doing it now. Yeah. I mean, last time I seen you, you peeled off in your Bentley. Yeah. You said you had a couple of them. Yeah. I ain't mad at you. I'm saying. Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I like to show, I like to show people that. You can have Bentleys. You can have all that stuff if you do it the right way. You know, I did it the right way. You know, I, and I'm not saying it, I, my story is not a get rich, you know, quick scheme. I'm saying I took the stairs. But did you and get that rich? And that, yeah, I did. And that didn't. <laughs> it, but that didn't take. Uh, that's not minus 
the the adversity that come with that. I mean, the struggle. You know, it was point. I my house was getting repoed. I my I mean, my house was getting getting evicted. My car was getting re. I went through all that, and I don't take that from no brother. I, any brother, if you coming out of prison, I'm not saying that you it's gonna be easy, peaches and cream. But what I'm saying to you, you got to look at the adversity. You got to look at the challenges as a part of the struggle. That's a part of it. So you don't shrink to it. You jump it. You look for it, and you and you hurdle that hurdle challenges because they're gonna be there. But it's going to build character, and it's going to help you have better decisions as you become successful. When your house was being evicted, your car was being repoed, and you're sitting there, yeah, like whoa, yeah. And I had friends offering me, offering me everything illegal under the sun. But I had made a commitment to myself in prison that I never go back that lifestyle. That I was changed. That I was a butterfly. And so I had to, I had to epitomize that. I had to walk that. And it was humbling, but I walked that. And in the end, God blessed me, like triple, quadruple my territory. What was your toughest day in that space? Being, just being in a position where I couldn't provide for, for myself, uh, that was tough, you know. And then I was, and I'm going to tell you something, man. And I had friends, man, who were, who were still in the streets. And they had, they were making $30,000, $40,000 a week, who I grew up with. And I remember I came to one of my partners and I said, man, they about to evict me, man. I just, can you just help me? That's how desperate I was. And he, you know what he told me? What? He said, if your hands ain't getting dirty, you can't get none of this. And that hurt me, man. That hurt me to the core because I was like, man, I'm trying to do right. And they were saying, only way you, I, we can help you if you, if you do wrong with us. Yeah. And, that, and you know what that taught me? That don't know, don't nobody owe me nothing. And I say this to you, when you get out of prison, I'm gonna tell you this. This is the best advice I can give you. Don't nobody owe you nothing. Don't come out of prison thinking somebody owe you. Everything you get, you gotta get it off your two back pockets. You gotta do it for yourself. And if you do it for yourself, you're gonna appreciate it. So don't come out here looking for somebody to give you a handout. Come out here saying, man, I'm gonna start wherever I start at the bottom, and I'm gonna work my way to the top, man. And I promise you, you appreciate it more, man. And you don't have to owe nobody. And so. That's the kind of lessons that I, you know, I try to give people, man. Redemptive path forward. No, nah, I'm looking. At, I can see your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good book, too, man. It's a good book? Yeah, it's a good book. It's a definitely good book. Tell me about it. It's, 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 chronicling, it's chronicling my journey. It was, uh, I dedicated to my mentor, who I met when I got out of prison, Bishop Omar Jawah, the late, great Bishop Omar. I got a forward by Deion Sanders. My brother, you know, me, him, and Omar, we was the big three. Uh, but Omar passed uh, last year, rest his soul. But this is, a, this is a chronicling journey and a blueprint of my rise, right, you know, coming from nothing. I don't spread nothing. I'm very honest, transparent. And I guarantee you, anybody that reads this book, they're going to find something applicable to their life. They're going to find some meaning. They're going to either they're gonna laugh or they're going to say, man, I went through that. This book right here, I wrote it. Just like Make You Want to Holler, Nathan McCall. When I read that book locked up, Nathan McCall, his book opened my eyes in a way. This brother away in Virginia, but I, I can identify with his struggle and what he's going through, everything. And I wouldn't, that was the only book that I wouldn't lend to nobody. And my, my publisher said, it's the 21st century, Make You Want to Holler. So this book is written like that, man. You know something? My book, sitting right there. And I read your book, too. You know what made me write my book? Yeah. Makes me want to holler. Yeah, that's crazy. No, no. I read his book. Nathan McCall. He came out with a second book. I didn't yeah. like the second book. I ain't book. like the second one either. 
The first book. I can tell you the whole I can tell you the whole book. <laughs> yes. I read yeah. his book. Yes. I was in Essex One in Walpole Max Security Prison. When I finished his book, yeah. I know exactly where I was standing. And I went up to my cell and I got a yellow legal pad. Wow. And I started writing that book right there. Wow. When I was reading your book, I could see that, man. I said, wow, this is crazy. Just looking at some of the stuff that you went through. It's it's the same stuff, you know. Oh. It's the same stuff, man. We just live four blocks up the street. Yeah, man, same stuff, man. But, yeah, Nathan McCall was a great influence on me, his book. So I want this book and, and your book and other books to be that for the brothers that's in prison. That but we can did. put your book right here. On the tablet. Oh, yeah. What would you thought if you'd had this inside? Man, if I had this. You could put books on there, trainings on there. Wow. Podcasts on there, video think, visits on there. I think this going to – I think – Honestly, I think this is what going to change the game for prisons all over the country. When you can give brothers access to this kind of information, your book, that they can identify, they can readily identify t- with, this is going to change the game. This, this right here is going to change the game in terms of it, because they need that education. Like for me, I read over a 1,000 books in prison. I met this young when she wasn't young, she was old, this old white lady. She was, she was the uh, librarian. She was the volunteer. We became friends, right? And, and, and we would talk about life. And we became so much friends that whenever they got new books, she, she would call first. me out first and say, pick, pick through these books before I put them out on the unit. And I would pick those books out. And, man, she taught me some valuable lessons, man. You know, she taught me some valuable lessons that I apply today. Secure is doing it with this. This is going to change the game because I'm telling you, when brothers had the opportunity to sit down and, and, and whether listening to it or rather reading stuff, it's going gonna, it's gonna to expose and expand their mind just like it did for us. It's going to expand them. Man, you know what I want to ask you? What at? At what point in, in your incarceration that, that you realized you wanted to do something different and what that looked like? What point? The point what I was, realized I wanted to do something different was my first week. Yeah. I went to the unit team. And the caseworker told me about GED, forklift, this degree, that degree. She told me all that stuff. Yeah. I wanted to do it. Yeah. I got back to the block, and the homies were like, yo, we don't rock like that. Right. We do this. We off into this lane. Right. That lane ain't for us. Wow. And I wanted to do it the first week. But I didn't because I followed the crowd. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have enough fortitude or understanding to stand on my own. Right. So I went down that path. And it was probably six and a half years later when I woke up in two and a half years in solitary when I finally had the opportunity slash courage to follow through on my original thoughts. So people hear me say I had my epiphany right. in 91. No, I had my epiphany in 85. Wow. It wasn't even an epiphany. It was just clear facts. Right. It wasn't even, listen, the epiphany came because I didn't let go with the facts. Right. The facts were, yo, bro, get this degree get this diploma, get these things. And it made sense to me right then. I didn't need an epiphany. Right. I'm glad God spoke to me. Yeah. But I had the caseworker gave it to me so clean and so clear. Yeah. That wasn't a problem. It was telling the homies that I wanted to be educated. Right. That was a problem. Right. So when I had my epiphany six years later, Hmm. it wasn't that I didn't know. Right. I just got brought back to where I originally left. I I walked past that. Yeah. So my, my moment came my first week with the case manager. Yeah. Um, Sherry Elliott, I know her name. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Elliott down at unit team was like, 
I hate to see your hair. You got a ton of time. Wow. She walked me through it. And everything she said made perfect sense. Wow. And had I started that day, I'd be 10 years, light years ahead of where I am right now. Man, you know what? You just, you, 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 you that, that's good stuff because I can, I, I can identify with that. And you made me think about uh, a particular story that happened for me in prison. Um, we had, we had, a, we had this deal called the Circle of Kings, right? And he was our brothers who was sharpening each other, you know, you know, earn sharp and earn counter mentality, right? And I was on a, I was on a mac, and I was on a minimum security, twenty minutes away from my house. I was getting visits regularly uh, from my family, but we were learning and teaching at such a level, right, that the unit chaplain came to see us on a minimum security, and asked us would we go to a maximum security to teach, because they had a, it was at the explosion of gangs, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I remember. Uh, I said, let me think about it. Is it going to help my parole? He said, no, nah, it's not going to help your parole. It's, it's helping those brothers. And I said, let me think about it. Give me three days to think about it, man. I went back on my bunk, and I was like, God, what are you doing here? You know, you know, he put me in a position, right? In some, some kind of way, I said, I'd do it. I came back, told the chaplain, yeah, I go. And he sent me to Beat 01, tough unit in Texas. And I remember, man, uh, going over to that unit. And I was delivering the message because I was speaking, right? And so everybody, whenever I would speak, they started hearing brothers were falling off the wings. You know, they was trying to come hear me speak, right? This ex-gang blood who bringing the heat. And I, and I don't know if I was just naive, but I was bringing it because I was addressing everything, right? And I remember this young brother. This kind of became the cornerstone of why I do what I do. I remember this young brother had approached me because uh, he had heard about me speaking, and he, and he said, brother, I need you to help me. At the time, I was teaching Islam. I was an imam. And he said, brother, I need you to help me get back in the community. They kicked me out. And I said, why did they kick you out? He said, because I was engaging in homosexuality, but I'm, I'm done with that, and I need help. And so I said, okay, well, I gave him some advice. I said, ask God forgiveness, forgive yourself. If, that, if you feel that's wrong, and then don't do it again. And I said, meet me down at service. So after service, right, we go into this room, and I'm new to this unit, and we're in the back of the chaplain, no guards, and I'm in there with like 15 guys. Every last one of them had life sentences. This brother had four life sentences. This brother had three, 99, and here I am with seven years, right? And I had a little brother to come in there. And the little brother, I told the little brother what to do. And after he did it, they were looking at this brother. If looked to kill, he'd be dead, right? And, and the brother, one of the brothers said, he got so angry, he said, this is what really got me out of religion. He got so angry, he said, the Quran said homosexuality is punishable by death. We should kill you. This is what he told the brother. And, and it was tense. And he said it again. And I'm realizing how ridiculous he sounds. After the third time, I stood in front of the brother, and he was shaking. He must have knew what they can do. He was shaking. And I said to the brother, I said, and I'm new. I said, if the Quran say kill him and you're a believer, kill him. And he looked confused. And then I raised my voice again. I said, if the Quran say kill him, kill him. He looked confused. Everybody confused. And I said it again real loud, right, standing in front of the brother. And the brother was so confused, right? He, he didn't know how to respond to that. 
See, the strong rule of weak, but the wise rule of mom. You feel me? And so I said, brother, God is forgiving, off merciful, most merciful. Only God can condemn, and that, 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 that's not your job, you know. If this brother want to help himself, he, can, he, he should have the ability to help himself. And at that moment, it was just an awkward stir, and then, he, and then the, brother, the, other, the rest of the brother broke rank, and they embraced the brother because it was the first time they realized how ridiculous the doctrine was, right, the fanatics. And that, and, and that day, man, I felt so good standing up for this brother and understanding that redemption and transformation has to be available for anybody who seek it, that the problem with us today is that we condemn people based upon our, our, our judgments and how we look at stuff. We condemn. We come from a condemned, condemnation point of view. But redemption and transformation is possible. When we begin to see that not only can we hold people accountable, as Bell Hook said, but we also have to be able to see their capacity to transform and change. That's more important than anything, bro. And so from that day forward, I said I wanted to spend my life showing that redemption and transformation is possible, that I'm not defined or confined by any label that people put on. I left prison saying that I was an ex-offender, and, and ex-offender is going to be the reason why I become successful. And the ex-offender is the reason I'm successful, because I don't hide that. So in closing, because I want to follow that up, there are people. Because I did the last series, and we're just doing information. We're building right. It was all good, great reviews. And I started thinking, who did we leave out? Because mm. I, I, I subscribe to the alpha males. I subscribe right. to the tough guys and the mm. people who do all that stuff. I said, well, who did I leave out? Mm-hmm. I said, man, there's people in jail, man, who were struggling mm-hmm. with depression. There's people in jail who were struggling with being assaulted. Mm-hmm. There's people in jail who were just struggling just because they locked up. Mm-hmm. Because I took to it well. Yeah. It was like throwing a fish in some water for right. me. Right. It was nothing. Right. I tell people, I never had a bad experience in jail other right. than being there. Right. Because I've been locked up before I was locked up. Right. So being left alone to me is nothing. Right. I've, been, I've been neglected since I was a baby. So I said, who am I forgetting? Who do I? And I said, well, dude, all the dudes who are struggling, Dre, mm-hmm. all the sisters who are struggling with depression, with mental right. illness, I'm saying, with just being in fear, being mm-hmm. in jail. Everybody can't be a boss. Mm-hmm. Everybody can't be in a lead car. Mm-hmm. Everybody can't have the keys. Right. There's people walking around in fear every day, man, not knowing if they're going to get attacked, right. they're going to stress out, or it's today's day day. Right. So I need you to give a message, man, to the brothers and sisters, man, who are struggling. Not the, right. not the bosses, not the shot callers, right. not the warriors and the gladiators, not right. the soldiers, right. to the people, man, who are just in there struggling, man. I want you to let them know what you think of them. Right. And before I say that, I want to say what you're doing right here on this platform, what's Securus, the Securus original. I want you to know that this is for them. This right here, what we're doing, is for that demographic of people that you're talking to. Because you got to understand that they, they, didn't have, they, ain't, they ain't never had access to this. So your platform and what you're doing is for those individuals. This is going to help. This is going to change. So I don't want us to be confused by that. I just want to thank you, brother, for allowing this platform to happen because I know this is going to address those brothers and sisters who are struggling mentally. And for those brothers and sisters who are struggling mentally, I would say this. Fate played a big part in my transformation. You have to develop your faith and have faith 
and, and live by that and, and seek the help that you need. If it's some help that's being offered on your unit, seek that help and seek that help wholeheartedly because it's not over unless you say it's over. You can't give up unless you give up. So seek your help. Don't give up. Stay positive. Stay focused. And, and, and God going to change some things for you and going to make a way. You're not forgot. You're not the only one. If somebody else went through it and they made it, you can make it too. There's no better words to close on. I'm saying, and with that, Bruce Wayne, thank you. Andre Norman, Securus Originals, here on JPay, day one. We'll see you on the other side, hey, brother Bruce. This ain't even really necessary, but we've been telling everybody. Yeah. If they reach out, we'll pull up and come see him. Yeah. I already know you're going in. Oh yeah. But if you reach out, we'll pull up and we'll come see you yes. in real time. Yes. And had this conversation. On the block or on the yard. Yes. I, I love to come to any prison with my brother. I would love to come to any prison with my brother and just just pour and just just help and just You might tell him that sign out to me. He just gave yeah. me this. No, that's that sign out to me. Okay. Y'all know how that goes. Don't be losing <laughs> giving me a tablet away. It's my yes, pin indeed. number. <laughs> any prison, we coming. Andre Norman, day one, pep talk. Bruce Wayne is in the building. Yeah. Peace. 